We just hit 10,000 total downloads. So to celebrate, we are re-airing some of our favorite interviews this week. Each one was picked to highlight a different topic area that we covered here on Tech Gumbo. If you're new to our show, we hope this is a good way for you to get introduced to who we are and what we like to talk about. Today's episode, we interviewed Keith Como. He's the deputy chief engineer on NASA's Mars 2020 rover mission, and he's part of the Jet Propulsion Laboratory. Yeah, well, we really like to talk about cool technology. We like to talk about space. And this is just such a fun interview to do because you could really tell how much he enjoyed what he worked on. And you could tell how much we enjoyed what he worked on. And it was just really exciting to be part of that moment. And it was really cool because he grew up here in Baton Rouge, went to Catholic High like you did, and also went to LSU. And it was a fascinating interview. So make sure you check out this interview from Keith Como, NASA's Deputy Chief Engineer. Okay, everybody, welcome back once again to Tech Gumbo. I'm Haggai Davis II, along with Haggai Davis III. And we'd like to welcome you into our show where we like to have conversations about the past, present, and future of all things technology in a topical, interesting, and digestible way. But hey, business owners and CEOs, hopefully you have a good relationship with your bank. But if you're facing challenges such as the need to consolidate debt, you're in growth mode or want to buy new equipment or level out your cash flow, whatever your need or challenge, give Cardinal Capital a call because they have over 4,000 lenders where they source commercial capital for business clients. Chris, Gary, and Rob at Cardinal Capital have a passion for business and they want your business to succeed. When you meet with Cardinal Capital, they get to know you and your business so they can present your needs to the lending institutions that best fit your unique situation. In short, they go after money for your business. They translate your business into what's important to banks, and they're good at it. Depending upon what the deal is, no matter how complicated or straightforward, they will help maximize your profitability while setting your business up for success. They find the best solution for your situation, and they're good. And here's the good part. They're easy to, to work with, and they're fun to deal with. For more detailed information, visit their website, cardinalcap.net, call 225-308-3700, or email info at cardinalcap.net. At Cardinal Capital, we connect business to capital. So, Mr. Davis, we ready for some tech gumbo? We are very excited this week. Absolutely are, because we have with us a guest today. We have Mr. Keith Como, who is a Catholic High graduate and an LSU graduate, and oh, by the way, he's also the, the deputy chief engineer for the Mars missions at NASA's Jet Propulsion Laboratory. Keith, welcome to Tech Gumbo. Well, thanks, guys. Great to be here. It's so exciting. We're both big nerds and geeks and, and love the things that you guys are doing over there. I would I'd love to know, how does, how does one go from CHS to LSU to, to JPL? Well, that is uh, that was a very long journey for me. Actually, um, I uh, I took a detour. I was I was very much interested in being um, a pilot in the Air Force and was even in ROTC there at LSU for a while. My vision uh, didn't cut it, um, so I went ahead and pursued uh, graduate school in aeronautics and astronautics. 
at Stanford uh, University, went through and got my uh, PhD, uh, studied hypersonic aerothermodynamics, which is the mouthful. But basically, it's the study of how things heat up when they when they fly really fast through the atmosphere. Unfortunately, when I finished it at Stanford, that particular speciality was uh, was not in high demand. Uh, there were cutbacks cutbacks in the government, and um, and so I, I kind of had to look for an alternative. And I found myself working at a satellite company, Hughes Communi- uh, Space and Communications, uh, in Los Angeles. And uh, there we built uh, many different commercial and government satellites, including things like uh, GPS, uh, XM radio, DirecTV, those types of satellites. And um, so I learned basically the, the fundamentals of satellite engineering and system engineering, um, putting my, my education from both LSU as well as Stanford to work. NASA was was uh, kind of in the back of my head, but it was, it was not really what I was gunning for at that time. I was doing pretty well at at uh, Hughes, uh, which ultimately got bought out by Boeing. And then one day I got a call from uh, from a colleague who had already joined uh, Jet Propulsion Laboratory, and he said they needed somebody to help with an entry descent landing system specifically something this this crazy thing called sky crane we're going to land a rover on mars with this uh, crazy uh, contraption that we call sky crane and so that was just too interesting to uh, to pass up oh yeah so um you know i i, I talked with uh, the folks over at jpl and they made me an offer that i couldn't refuse <laughs> as it were and um so the rest is history i've been working on the curiosity and perseverance rovers um ever since that is super interesting. You, so you mentioned that you went through Kavakai, LSU, Stanford. Um, given that some of those teachers might be listening, is there a specific teacher you want to shout out? Someone who inspired you? Someone who helped you? You know, push you in the right way, motivate you to to challenge yourself? Um, yeah, great question. Um, and 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 something that I always look for an opportunity to give back. Actually, I go back to to all of my alma maters to to speak. Um, and going all the way to, to junior high at St. Thomas More, Mrs. Cannon and Mrs. Jury were, were two of my uh, teachers in junior high, and they had a profound influence on, on the path that I took. Also at, at uh, Catholic High, um, Brother Harold and Brother Ray, um, who's passed on now, but um, those are my math and physics professors. Um, clearly, they had an influence on my life. And then at LSU, um, Bob Corder um, was uh, w- one of the professors who, whose speciality was, was aerospace engineering. I took every single one of his electives in orbital mechanics and aerodynamics and gas dynamics. And uh, he was the one who actually pointed me in the direction of Stanford. Um, knowing my interests and my strengths, he suggested Stanford was a good a good fit for me and, uh, you know, help write my ac- application and and uh, I think that was instrumental in me getting into Stanford. That's awesome. great. So if you went back to your freshman year at LSU and had to pick a different path, what might you find yourself having having done? Wow, that's a interesting question that I have not thought about. I've, I don't have any regrets with regards to the path that I took. Oh, absolutely not. Uh, <laughs> I mean... <laughs> One of the big motivations for for going to LSU, of course, was, you know, I grew up in Baton Rouge, and so it's been part of my life, you know, ever since I was a kid. So it was very natural to go to LSU, but I think what really put the cherry on top was that I got a a full academic scholarship. 
And so that really made the choice pretty obvious for me to, to go to LSU. It didn't have an aerospace engineering program. And I already knew at that time that that's what I wanted to study. And so that's kind of why I, I double majored in mechanical engineering and physics. And then I also explored ROTC um, on top of that. So I was pretty busy in school. Um, <laughs> and perhaps uh, maybe one of the things I might have done differently is maybe uh, take some time out and enjoy myself a little bit more. <laughs> yeah, I watched him go through the physics department at LSU and we didn't see him very much here at the house. <laughs> Yeah, I could not imagine, you know, adding an ROT on top, ROTC on top of that, plus the mechanical engineering degree. That is a lot of time right there. Yeah, it uh, it was, yeah, it was pretty intensive. You know, I, I got ahead of the game and went to summer school and stuff. So, um, you know, I managed to, to spread it out a little bit. But um, yeah, it was it was hard work. Wow. So you you mentioned, you know, got some really cool things, you know, perseverance, curiosity. What's what's the the future there at NASA? What's the next big project that that JPL is working on? Well, um, so the next one uh, that Perseverance is uh, actually a part of is returning rock samples back from Mars uh, to bring them back home to Earth, so we can bring to bear all of the scientific instruments and and capabilities that we have around the world. Um, to study the rocks that we uh, are going to sample with Perseverance. So Perseverance is the first step on that journey. We're going to use the, the instruments that we have on board to carefully select a number of rock samples. Um, we have a sample caching system, uh, which begins with a, a coring drill that we have at the end of our robotic arm. It's going to drill into uh, the rocks and uh, pull out a, a sample, kind of like a piece of a, a large piece of chalk, uh, seal that those samples into um, titanium tubes, which will uh, deposit on the surface of Mars for the, the next mission uh, to come along, uh, retrieve them all, uh, put them in a package that's gonna blast off the surface of Mars um, in a Mars Ascent vehicle, which will be the first time uh, we ever have done anything like that, launch a rocket from another planet. And then a third mission is going to retrieve that package in orbit around Mars and then return it back to Earth. And so it's it's quite an elaborate uh, um, endeavor that we're, we're beginning here with Perseverance um, and we're, we're partnering with Europeans uh, to build a lot of the components that I just mentioned. So what's that's a, what's a time what's a time window on on that? Yeah, so the uh, the current launch date is 2026 um, and uh, we anticipate to have samples back in 2031. I think those dates are still, you know, kind of uh, being negotiated, but uh, those are kind of rough dates that we're looking at right now. Wow. So a full decade out. That's right. Yeah. It's, these, these missions typically, you know, from conception to, to execution, typically take eight to 10 years uh, from beginning to end. So given that you're basically planning this for the next generation, what are some skills or some uh, tools that if someone is wants to become part of JPL, what should they be working on right now? How can they improve their self? Yeah, great question. So we have, you know, in, in, any number of different types of disciplines that support our missions from, you know, mathematics, computer science, electrical engineering, aerospace engineering, mechanical engineering. I don't know if I said mathematics already, but uh, but also biological sciences. You know, we have astrobiologists on our team, geologists and, and, and physicists. So any 
any technical discipline, science or engineering, um, really is an important um, ingredient in, in you know, the success of our missions. But we also have artists and communicators um, in our in our uh, on our team as well that help tell the story of our exploration to the to the rest of the public, which is important because this is funded by the taxpayer, and we want to make sure that the taxpayer knows that they're getting their money's worth. And so we've got we've got jobs, uh, we've got people that are doing that sort of thing as well. But I would say for for those who are interested in the technology aspects of things. You know, one of the things that I found most valuable in my education is the uh, the opportunity to work in teams. You know, nobody can do this by themselves, and it's a huge undertaking. And you know, we had many projects over the course of, of my education that that I think now looking back on it really kind of highlight, you know, the need to understand and learn how to work in a team setting. You know, there's going to be differences. People bring different skills to the table. There's a there's a lot of diversity in opinions, and you know working through all that is a very important ingredient for making making a, a mission like this a success. So NASA is a a big huge operation. Everyone knows you know Kennedy Space Center where they launched the rockets in Houston, where you know they control the rockets and everything. What's the mission of JPL, and what's how does that fit in the structure of where things go? Yeah, JPL is, is known primarily for robotic space exploration. Kennedy and Marshall and Johnson Space Center are largely, uh, you know, focused on the man's, man space or human space exploration. So, you know, that's that, that's hard in a different way because you have to have life support systems and, and that sort of thing. For JPL, we, we focus on the robotic aspect of exploration, and that includes a lot of um, autonomy and artificial intelligence, as well as uh, you know optical systems for remote observation, as well as you know um, in situ um, experiments as well. We also do a lot of technology demonstration, so we're pushing the envelope on technology all the time. For example, we have got a, a helicopter that we brought with us uh, that's strapped to the belly of Perseverance right now. And we're going to be uh, deploying that and checking it out in uh, the coming weeks. So to demonstrate powered flight on the surface of another planet, which has never been done before. So, so yeah, so JPL is, is robotic in uh, technology uh, demonstration largely. And, and, and not just planets, but also um, Earth observation as well. Earth is a planet and we learn a lot about how to study other planets simply by studying Earth. You know, we actually spend more on Earth than any other planet. The powered flight on another planet. Can you talk just a little bit about what were some of the challenges that you had to overcome in order to figure out, you know, it was probably possible to have a helicopter on Mars, but you have different gravity, you have a different atmosphere. What was that whole process like? Yeah, that's you hit two of the, the hard ones right off the bat there. Um so the biggest challenge is the atmosphere, clearly, because the atmosphere of Mars is only 1% of uh, the thickness of uh, what it is here at the surface of Earth. So it would be like flying a helicopter at an altitude of about 100,000 feet here on, on Earth. And, you know, you simply don't see that. Helicopters, planes can't even fly that high. So so first of all, that that's a huge challenge. And so that that drives the design of the of the blades of the helicopter. We have uh, very large blades for the size of the helicopter that we're flying. Um, it's just a, I think it's a, a 
think I heard 1.8 kilograms, so about two two pounds. Uh, sorry, about three three and a half pounds worth of uh, of mass that we're going to lift on the surface of Mars, and our our blades are uh, 1.2 meters across, and they're going to be rotating at a speed of about um, you know 2200 RPM, which is wow. really really much faster than than what you what a helicopter here on Earth would be flying at. So. So that was the first challenge is, is developing enough lift in a very thin atmosphere. The good news is that the Mars gravity is not as heavy as uh, or not as strong as it is on Earth. But that presents a different kind of challenge. And that's how do you test this helicopter here on Earth when you're dealing with a different gravity? And so we had to come up with contraptions in our, in our, our simulation chamber, which we pump down to Martian atmosphere and basically kind of tether the the helicopter during its flights to basically pull on it to offset what um, the Earth gravity would be uh, pulling on it to simulate Mars. And then the other the other challenge is um, be, because we're limited, uh, mass is so highly constrained, we can't put a whole lot of uh, instrumentation or devices uh, or the systems that we need to fly the helicopter are, are very constrained. So the battery is one of the largest one of the most massive elements of the helicopter itself. And so the battery is, is pretty small um, and, uh, and it's mostly used to keep it warm, which is another challenge because it gets darn cold on, on Mars overnight, you know, minus 100 degrees or so. And so the helicopter has to use heaters to be able to survive the Martian night. And so, you know, there's so many different challenges. And then, you, you know, packaging it and tucking it in under the rover, being able to deploy it. There are many challenges. And so, as you can hear, as I, I, I rattle through all these things, that's why we call it a tech demo. There's This is the first time anybody's done anything like this. And uh, so it's entirely possible that that we might have an issue and not be able to do it. But uh, but that's why we do it. We take the risks and uh, we, we see what we see what we can do to try to make it happen and, and, and try again the next time if it doesn't. So, you know, we watched the, the the Martian and, you know, we, you know, there's, there's weather storms and everything that blow around on there. How, how much of a lead time will you have when you're looking at weather patterns on Mars to know, okay, this is a good day to launch versus you start to, and then here comes a windstorm and your <laughs> copter's gone. Well, so a little bit of, of what you see there in the Martian is, is Hollywood. The Martian, oh, really? uh, <laughs> The Martian, um, the, the, the atmosphere of Mars being so thin, even when do you have a significant wind on the order of a couple of tens of meters of uh, tens of meters per second, it's really not going to be all that forceful because there's so there's so little mass in the air. So it's not going to certainly not going to tip over a rocket or, or anything like that. But we do care very much about the the weather on Mars. In fact, we were getting daily weather reports as we approached landing and had a backup plan if we were to see a, a dust storm or something of that nature. And the way that it really manifests itself is the really dramatic changes in the density of the atmosphere. As, as the atmosphere gets hot and cold, the density can change quite a lot. And so that that can affect how we fly through the atmosphere, both both on landing day as well as for the helicopter. So as we as we uh, get ready for helicopter flights, we're going to be looking to to fly in the late morning, 
when it's relatively cool still. You, you do have sunlight, but it's it's cool enough that you know the weather, the winds haven't really picked up, and the atmosphere is dense enough to get off the ground. Wow, that is just a, a tremendous number of different things that I, I would not have considered. How do you go through the process of thinking about, okay, you know, we have to make sure we're thinking about all these different things. Do you have a giant list? Do you have, what is that process like of tackling each new confounding factor? Yeah, so that is really the essence of our jobs, actually. So, you know, from, from one point of view, we, we write down requirements. We, we define what the environments are. And having gone to Mars enough as many times as we have now, we have a pretty good idea of what the environment is. You know, back 40 years ago, when we were first sending missions to Mars, we didn't know what the environment was. And they, the engineers at that time just had to, to make an educated guess and, and design margin into the system to, to be able to survive the unknown, basically. And that's why there's so many uh, early failures in the space program. But nowadays, we've, we've, we've put enough uh, probes on Mars and around Mars that we can you know, make a pretty good estimated uh, guess on, on what the, the elements are going to throw at us. But then we, we, we break down those requirements. We uh, align those requirements with the different systems that we need to build. And then we, we test those systems in the environments that we anticipate them to experience on Mars. And we test them at the component level. We put them together and we test them again at the assembly level. And we put them together again at the full vehicle level and we test them again. So uh, there's a lot of testing as well as analysis for things that we, we really can't simulate. We put it in the computer and turn the crank. Uh, sometimes millions of, of different variables that we change um, and run millions of different cases to see how the system performs when you change the inputs. So it's, it's a process. <laughs> That's really fascinating. Keith, cannot thank you enough for spending some time with us, taking out of your very busy day and, and coming on to Tech Gumbo. Oh, it's been my pleasure. It's great talking with y'all. All right. So for you, our listener, if you've enjoyed this conversation today, we are here on Talk 107.3 FM every Saturday at 4 p.m. The show reruns Sundays also at 4 p.m. If you missed any part of our interview or you want to go back and hear previous episodes, you can check out our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, and many other locations. We do want to thank Emco Technologies for sponsoring our show. Emco, for all your business computer network needs, whether it's Office 365, cybersecurity concerns, or moving to the cloud, managing your business computer network is what we do. So give us a call, 225-925-8900. Or on the web, encotechnologies.com. And if you like our show, if you have some suggestions, let us know. We're on Twitter and on Facebook. We're at Tech Gumbo Show. And you can text us also, 225-255-0431. Give us some suggestions. Ask some questions. We want to hear from you. You've been listening to Tech Gumbo on Talk 107.3 FM, WBRP, Baton Rouge's new flavor of talk.